Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. I'm author and journalist Laura Price, and you're listening to Life in Food inspiring stories in bite-sized pieces. Each episode, I interview a different guest about how food has helped them through some of their biggest challenges. With a different theme each week, we look at everything from food and love to food and friendship, food and fertility, and even food and grief. This week's episode is food and social media with Sarah Tasker, host of the Hashtag Authentic podcast, as well as photographer, writer, social media expert, and coach. Sarah has an incredibly successful business giving classes and one-to-one coaching to help people build their Instagram followings in the most authentic ways and to help them to achieve their business goals. She came to this particular career after leaving the NHS and she's been hugely successful running a multi-six-figure business even while living with a chronic illness that causes extreme fatigue and sometimes makes it difficult to leave the house. I've been using Instagram for 10 years now in my role as a food journalist and also as a restaurant enthusiast and author, and I'm fascinated by the way it's evolved and how there's now a huge cavern between Instagram versus reality. I'm going to be talking to Sarah about those changes and how we can still use social media to truly connect people through food and beyond. Sarah, thank you for joining me and welcome to Life in Food. Thank you for having me. What a lovely intro. It makes me sound so professional. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you are, and I've been following you for quite a few years now, and it's just been amazing to see the the evolution of your own career as well. It's been a joy, yeah. It's been such an adventure. Um, Instagram changed my life. I'm a big fan. Oh, God. Well, um, first of all, could could you tell us about what you do in your own words and also how Instagram changed your life? What I do in my own words, I sometimes dread that question, you know, when you get in a lift with someone and they're like, so what do you do? And you think, oh no, I don't have a clean answer to this. I do a bit of everything I want to do. So I I do some coaching, I do some education, I do some writing, I'm writing a novel. Um, I have a podcast, I have a book, I do some speaking events. And the joy of that is I get to constantly pivot to whatever is matching my enthusiasm at the moment or matching my focus or my interest or also matching what my body will agree to do with my health 
Um, and Instagram was the gateway to all of that because Instagram is how I found an audience for what I have to share. It started as just photography and writing. It was, it was just personal writing, almost lifestyle blogging at the beginning. And as I learned that people were especially interested in my insights on social media, kind of lent into that and it evolved into my business. And so I'm really passionate about this idea of social media as a way to connect us with the people who want to hear what we have to say. And that direct connection is quite new. If you think like traditional industries as a journalist, you'll know you go through something else, you write, it goes in a publication which has an audience and then it gets to the audience. So there's always that barrier, you know, you you make movies and then it goes to the studio and then it goes out. So this is the first time really, I think we've had this ability to have that direct relationship with our audience. So whatever it is you want to do in the world, it's such a powerful thing. Amazing. You're basically living the freelance dream, I think, that we all want to do. I think I am. <laughs> I have to say it still has its stresses. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm, sh I'm sure it does. Sadly. Um, you actually left a job in the NHS to do what you do. Can you tell us how that came about? Yeah, so I was working in speech therapy, pediatric speech therapy, and I'd started this Instagram account on my maternity leave and it was growing, but this was back when, like, there was no such thing as an Instagram career. There was no such thing as an influencer even. And so I'd spend my lunch breaks emailing brands to try and get brand partnerships because I just had this sense that this was something. I could tell it was going somewhere. I could tell it had momentum and it had potential. And I'd done that thing that a lot of women do where after you go back to your career after maternity leave, it just doesn't fit anymore. It didn't fit for me to be out of the house every day away from my daughter and it didn't fit for my health as my health was kind of declining I was like pulling over the car and having naps in between home visits mm. and so I was I was very aware that this could be a way out um but even when my goal was just to match my income every month um from the Instagram work and even when I got there, I still probably stayed for another four or five months longer than I needed to because it was really frightening to take the leap into into the freelance dream. Um, and then very quickly realized I didn't want to be dependent on those brand partnerships full time because you've, you very much have to sort of sell out your voice if, you know, if that's the only way you can pay the bills. So that's when I started to sort of diversify the business a bit. I love the fact that you've been super open about your earnings as well. Um, I remember a tweet that you did yeah. years ago now about how much you'd earned in that year and it, it got really positive responses, didn't it? It did. It was interesting. It got really positive responses on Twitter and it got mostly positive responses, but some negative on Instagram. Really? Um, which is maybe just a snapshot of where people's minds are at. Uh, yeah, I, I spoke about, I think that year I'd made about 250k from my kitchen table, like not even having a desk, just wow. me and my laptop that I'd have to shove out the way when it was tea time. And um, yeah, previously, like working for the NHS, I think I made about 20k a year, uh, like frequently had like red bills coming through the door. And I was in all sorts of debt and did not manage my money very well at all and, and struggled in the way that I think most of us would on 20k a year. Um, and so that's been a whole transformation and journey kind of having money having money when I'd never had money before wasn't brought up mm -hmm. having money a delight amazing but um an education as well how did you do that because obviously you know everyone wants to earn the sort of money that you're earning from the job that you're doing which appears to be a dream job do you have any kind of top line tips 
So for me, it was about making something that was really scalable. So I started at first, I was just doing one-to-one coaching and I very quickly realized there was only one of me. I had limited hours. Mm-hmm. You can't, you know, then that's the problem as a freelance writer a lot of the time, isn't it? There's only so much you can charge per piece and there's only so many pieces you can write in a week. So for me, it was delivering classes online and scaling up that education because I was realizing I was saying the same things to all these clients over and over. So I was like, what if I could say this to loads of people at once, set it at a lower price point, but it was still, you know, when when 100 people buy something at 200, 300 pounds, then you very quickly start to see that scale. And so I've carried on doing that kind of those classes, making sure because I have this background in schools and in education, trying to make sure that they actually work, that they're classes that actually you get through when you come out at the end with the results and the skills that you need um, and trying to make sure that they, they deliver on the value and that they, they can reach as many people as possible. Amazing. That's, that's really good advice. Thank you. You describe yourself on your website as 40% photographer, 40% writer, 40% coach and 10% cake. And you admit that you're terrible at maths, which so am I. (laughs) Um, So I think that's a good prompt for us to start to talk about your relationship with food. Mm. How was your relationship with food when you were growing up and what's it like now? So I kind of had this, this split world of food growing up. So my grandparents lived next door and my my home, my parents' home was very much 80s convenience food. It was like those kind of floppy oven chips, like slightly strange, awful with unhealthy <laughs> amounts of salt in breadcrumbs, you know, those kind of like cheap convenience food. And then my grandma would home cook everything in that traditional kind of grandma way and was an amazing cook. So everything I know about cooking came from her, everything I know about baking Everything I know about nice food came from her. And still now, like all of my favorite recipes are things that she taught me. Okay. And I should say that we're from a very similar place. We're both from West Yorkshire, although you still live there and I sadly don't. You're not a food blogger or or a food influencer per se, but you do post quite a lot of photos of pastries and beautiful bread and coffees and these gorgeous layouts of breakfasts. And I confess, Sarah, I've been to the bottom of your Instagram feed and you did post a plate of sausages and some quality streets wrappers. Yeah, back in the day. (laughs) (laughs) I wanted to ask, why do you think food took off on Instagram so spectacularly from the beginning? Such a good question. I think food is lifestyle, right? Like Instagram in the beginning was everyone showing their life and their personal experience of the world. And what works even to this day on Instagram is anything that engages our senses and makes us feel like it's a moment that we kind of can be drawn into. Mm. And food is so powerful for that because as soon as you look at lemons, you know the taste of lemons. As soon as you see a place as a plate of sausages, you're like, I know what that's like. And food has such a sense of place and moment to it. Like you mentioned the pastries and coffee, because for me, that's, that is a point in the day where everything stops and it's, things are beautiful and things are intentional and you engage in your senses and you're kind of stopping to be where you are. And seeing that the next best thing to having that personally is, I think is to see it on your screen. And it's kind of a reminder that those check-in points with your body and with the world around you exist. And how do you think food on Instagram has changed since the days when we were all just posting our avocado on toast with eggs? It's definitely changed. And maybe it's 
slightly tragically changed, I think. Like I have a lot of thoughts at the moment on how we've evolved from this place where we all just shared for the joy of sharing. Back in the day, the very early days of Instagram, there was no expectation of a career from it or profit even from it. It was just for the fun and maybe for the numbers, like as an ego boost Mm -hmm. at, at most. So there was a lot of honesty to it then, right? Like you would just share what was real. You'd share the burnt cake or you'd share, (laughs) I don't know, like the messy plates at the end of the meal. And we've sort of become so strategic about Instagram now that the food you see is food. It's being shared not for the motivation of connection. Most of the time it's being shared for the motivation of growth and profit and Uh, like momentum for that account holder and I think that does show because you have these huge trends in food now you know there's certain kind of rules to what food will perform well on Instagram and what won't certainly a plate of sausages would not expect that to perform well on Instagram in this day and age but like a rainbow fruit bowl would I imagine do far better Um, and it's partly visual it's there is probably a whole like a whole episode's worth we could dig into in the kind of the food as medicine, food, mm-hmm. like purity, clean eating versus unclean eating, like those things live and breathe on Instagram and they have a huge hold on people. Um, so for that reason, the plate of sausages would not do as well as the fruit because I think people feel virtuous engaging with the fruit and feel sinful engaging with sausages. Yeah. Well, on on that same note, I um, remembered a meme that I saw, again, it's about five or six years ago. And it's a waiter standing over someone's table saying, is everything okay? You've not photographed your food. (laughs) And um, it reminded me of, and I'm totally guilty of photographing my food all the time, by the way. Um, It reminded me of like, kind of since then, because that was early days. Since then, we've seen um, restaurants and places and even people at home photographing food or eating food or going to restaurants just to take a photo of a particular thing. So you mentioned the rainbow fruit bowls, but there was the rainbow bagels trend. There yeah. was the fruit shakes and people, I don't think were necessarily eating these things. It's, and it's, it's similar to the trend where we've heard about model influencers hiring private jets just to take a, um, to do a, a shot on a private jet to do an Instagram shoot again. on a private jet and get off again. And they never actually flew on it. Do you think that social media is making us less authentic in our decisions, I guess? Do you know, I don't actually think it is changing like the fabric of who we are. And the reason I say that is I think this instinct to pretend or to show like a glossy version of ourselves has always existed. Like I talked about my grandma, I think about how she would like shine her her letterbox and her doorstep so that it looked good to the outside world and the rest of her house was not that shiny sorry grandma but it wasn't um but it was that thing of like we want people to have a certain impression of us you know like your mother-in-law comes over and you quickly tidy up or you put an outfit on in the morning and you're like "Mm, no that doesn't look as good as I want it to so you put another one on and maybe another one on and I think it's that same instinct of Believing we can control people's perceptions of us, which, by the way, I think is a lie, but believing that we can by what we show to the world. So it's maybe a more sort of strange, possibly sinister manifestation of that. But I think it's an instinct that's always 
existed and that we've always honored so I, I don't worry about like the fabric of society because of Instagram I think it's I think it's okay but I think it's interesting and I, I do think like what does it do to our brains if we believe that everyone else is is actually eating all of this stuff because food is is so complicated and Mm. I, I hope it's all right to talk about this, Laura, but like, I think as women, our relationship with food is always more complicated because of our relationship to body image yeah. and the messages we get about weight gain. And Instagram definitely has a really big role to play in that. And I, it's it seems to me a really big shame that we had this medium where we could be actually peeking into each other's lives and it had the potential to normalize everything and yet again we've just turned it into another glossy magazine that tells us lies yeah I agree although I do think that it's also become a place for people to show that added authenticity you know we had the body positivity movement and we've got people like unfortunately I don't know how to pronounce her name but Danai Mercer Mm. um posting these brilliant images of like uh, the 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 real life version of the Instagram photo versus what you actually look like before you've done the pose. So it's got that positive angle as well. You're right. And and that's actually really important that we acknowledge. And I think that is a backlash to the kind of the trend in the opposite direction. Mm. And the trend is not real. I think it's partly driven by us, but a lot of it's driven by the algorithms. It's Instagram was much more democratic and much more open before these algorithmic systems came in and now you have to play the game. You have to sort of chase the numbers and the numbers encourage things that often aren't as authentic. Yeah. And that's so true because before I remember when we first started on Instagram over 10 years ago, most of us had our accounts set to private, I would say. And I would say now there's more of a, you kind of create an Instagram in order to be public and it's sort of in a way an amplification of because I totally agree with what you say about your mother-in-law coming around you know we all put on we have um we have a public self and a private self and Instagram is almost like the amplification of the mother-in-law coming around except that you're showing your outside your public life to the whole world versus just your mother-in-law yeah and how how do you think that Instagram versus reality can affect your mental health, if at all? And does it affect your own mental health? I, I mean, there's been a lot shared on this already, hasn't there? And we do know it does affect people's mental health, especially in regards to things like body image and just this idea that other people are living a better life than you. Um, and I, I think the only solution to that is media literacy. I only think that we can all learn and teach our children that it's not reality my daughter's nine now and she's kind of getting into like youtubers and we have a lot of conversations where I have to remind her like okay but you know that that's not all true you know that's not their whole life because what you see even if you are amplifying that public self is like one percent isn't it Mm -hmm. of the real world um so I, I do think I think it can be a dangerous thing but I think you're right that the the kind of the backlash to that and the increase in authenticity and the potential for authenticity that is always there is a really, really beautiful counter to that. And hopefully my hope is that the good done by that will outweigh the bad, because I think the bad is the uh, bad that always existed, right? We've always seen people who were far too thin, living far too nice lives, eating far too healthy food. Like when I was younger, it was like, glossy magazines now it's Instagram but if you want to feed your brain that you're always going to find it 
But when we were younger, where did you go for anything else? Where did you go for body positivity or like a realistic food diary of your day? It didn't even exist. And at least now it is it is out there. And I have to say, like, when I made an intentional choice to fill my Instagram feed with bodies that looked like mine, I'd gained weight <clears throat> due to my health and um, was like, I'm going to look for people who've, who have gained weight and, and follow people with different size bodies. And it took a very short amount of time mm-hmm. for me to normalize that. I remember looking at myself in a swimsuit in the mirror and being like, oh, I look like the model. And I was like, oh my God, look at that. Like two weeks of changing my Instagram feed and already... I've stopped hating myself. That's really interesting and such good advice as well to, you know, follow follow the people that look more like you if if that's something that affects you. And also I think people that don't look like you but that don't look like everyone else, right? Yeah. Like that diversity is so important and it shows that our brains are very malleable and like we all we have to do is be more intentional about what we put in and very quickly the thoughts that come out can be improved upon. Yeah. You run a podcast called Hashtag Authentic and you've written a book of the same name. How do you think listeners can kind of achieve a better balance between Instagram and reality? The kind of overarching message that I teach, and I teach it because it's the truest thing I've ever learned, is that the secret to whatever it is you're trying to unlock, whether it's like financial success, whether it's audience building, whether it's connection with other people, is to just be more you, just be exactly who you are. And it sounds so simple, but it's like the hardest thing to do in a world that has spent your whole life telling you that who you are is not right or not enough. But we like it's so clear to me every time I speak to someone, every time I coach someone, they the thing that they are most frightened about people finding out about them is the thing that people would love to know and relate to so much and celebrate for them and make space for. So that's kind of my mission. It's like to to help everyone kind of uncover that. And I think that that is the way to 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 navigate this is that if you can give yourself permission to be exactly who you are then there's no danger of all these other things influencing you because you know who you are and you're rooted in that and you're showing up as that you're not trying to pretend to be anything you're not it's yeah it's one of those it sounds like such a kind of a toxic positivity message if you kind of don't dig into it because it's the hardest thing in the world to do we have so many layers of protection over it but Instagram is the perfect place to explore it because you can just kind of dip a toe into the water, just admit to something like, actually, like my my house is a mess. Actually, I have a cupboard that the doors won't shut because everything's coming out or whatever the fear is. And when everyone's like, me too, oh my God, suddenly you start to get that permission to just be exactly who you are. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you 
you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Someone I um, follow who does that brilliantly is Dorno Porter. Yeah. Um, she's obviously got millions of followers and she's famous anyway, but she really does that well. Like she'll share a photo of her, close-up face she's obviously not taken 17 selfies to get that one picture and you can just see the messiness as well as the glamour of her life which I think is makes her a great role model definitely and and what I say to people is like if you're not ready for that like you don't have to jump straight in at the deep end if you are someone who's like addicted to face filters post Mm. selfie with a face filter by all means but maybe mention that you did like Mm. just just that first dip in of like, I don't like to post pictures of my face without a face filter will give everyone else so much permission to look at like where that shows up for them. Yeah, I found Instagram challenging over the years. And it goes back to what you said before about being your true self. I've had two Instagram accounts. One of them started as my private personal one that just had my friends on it 10 years ago. And then later on, when I got a job writing about restaurants, I started a foodie one. Mm. And that one became followed by lots of predominantly male chefs. And then a few years later, I made my private one public because I was releasing a novel and I wanted to sort of open up that life about the breast cancer experience that I'd had. And I now have one that's kind of more me personal talking about my breast cancer experience. And then I have this foodie one, which is followed by women. And then they have this foodie one, which is followed by men. And I'm now like, I don't know whether to just blend them. And actually the people that follow the foodie one do know me as a person. And I recently shared a video about 
my breast cancer experience, which I was relating to food via this podcast. So it made sense to both of them. But I'm just so confused about <laughs> about which which to do and what to do on which and whether to just make them all into one and be my full self talking about food and cancer and books and everything else. See, I don't think you are confused. I think you know exactly what you should do, but you're a bit scared to do it by the sounds of it. Does that mean that you think I should make just one? Yeah, I always <laughs> think just have one because otherwise you split, like you double the workload and you have True. the rewards because you've got to do twice as much to, to get the same engagement. And yeah. also I think you're right. I think it's very easy to fall into that trap. Like, well, the male chefs won't care, but the male chefs probably do love they women, do. a lot of them. And yeah, like have and, and care about you as a human and food is so personal. So yeah, I, you don't want to shape your account for the imagined reaction of your followers right you want to shape your account for you and let the followers yeah really 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 interesting do you see yourself as a brand I don't I'm not very good at sticking to the idea that I'm a brand actually like I have got better at separating myself from the business and sometimes I can make decisions that are good for the business instead of good for me personally um but no I'm very much still a flawed flailing human (laughs) on the internet um doing whatever I do and yeah for better or for worse I think it's hard to to remain authentic when you do go too deeply into that brand pathway like all of my posts on social media are still me written by me I I struggle to let go of that even emails even sales emails I'm like no I have to write it it's got to be me because that's Mm. my name at the bottom yeah Well, on a similar note and on the subject of Instagram versus reality, you've shared that you live with a chronic illness. Are you able to tell us a little bit about that and whether it affects what you eat and how you eat? Sure. So I have something called dysautonomia. Um, In the US, it's often called POTS, postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome. Uh, It basically means that anything that my body does autonomically or automatically can go haywire. So it's things like blood pressure, um, temperature control, digestion, uh, the ability to stand upright, heart rate, just all the fun things. Um, and it's very unpredictable and some days are good and some days are awful. Uh, so in terms of food, absolutely. One of the big things for me is, um, I'm hypervolemic, which means I never have quite enough blood in my body. And when you eat all of the blood goes to your digestive system to do its thing. So that means there's no blood left in my head, basically. And I get very, very dizzy and sleepy or I'll faint. So that's been really complicated to navigate with my relationship with food because I think I do have probably layers of issues around anyway, kind of like tending towards restriction, tending towards um, kind of not necessarily the healthiest of eating patterns in regards to kind of trying to control my body image. So knowing that eating makes my symptoms worse, it's very easy to then kind of go into this, well, I just won't eat and not eating is virtuous, not eating is good for me, but it's obviously also not. So navigating that has been really, really tricky. Carbohydrates definitely seem to make it worse, but I don't want to go down that whole like demonizing carbs route because it's not evidence-based. It's not, you know, it's, it's not something that's true for everybody. So it's it's kind of the truth is it's just complicated and I kind of I have these like these rules for every meal I eat I call it like my food filter and I have to check in and check in that what I'm eating is is 
I'm choosing it with those values in mind and not getting pulled down the path of kind of other other impulses. Is this all right to say, Laura? Yeah, of course. Yeah, not <laughs> and not and not driven by Instagram or you know what food looks nice on Instagram, for example. Right. Yeah. Exactly. So it's does it feel good in my body? Does it will it help my body feel good for the rest of today? Um, like, does it nourish my senses as well as my body? Um, those kind of questions, just checking in with myself so that I'm eating for the right reasons. I'm not eating because I'm bored, but I'm also not eating like just a plate of spinach because Instagram told me to. Um, and just kind of staying in that intentional place has really helped me with eating in general and kind of, you know, making sure I eat enough protein, all of those really basic things that um, help help me stay well and functional most of the time some days it just doesn't work no matter what you try but um it's all a learning curve and I I do I do always imagine that I'll get to a point where I won't need that check-in and and it will become easier but like I say food is food is complicated food can be so political and Mm. we are exposed to so many influences around it so I really try to be mindful and try to kind of educate myself on the the places where the popular mythology about food maybe isn't telling us the whole truth. Yeah, absolutely. And those decisions that you make daily about what you're putting in your body are actually decisions that we should all be making. But those of us who have, you know, I'm living with secondary breast cancer now. Those of us who live with, you know, certain diseases, kind of, it's much more at the front of mind for us. But actually, uh, everyone really should be making decisions consciously about what they put in their bodies every day. So... Yeah. And it's hard to do that when you're so busy, when food can be such a dopamine reward, like it it almost forces you to eat it. Um, when food is just in the cupboard, like I always think about like hunter-gatherer times, you'd go out and you'd get what you could get and you'd choose it intentionally. You'd have so much time to think about what you were going to eat before you did. Whereas now eating, for me, it can very quickly become an automatic thing. I don't even know I'm doing it. And then the whole packet of popcorn is gone or whatever. So, and Laura, you must get, do you get lots of advice from people online about how you should be eating according to their beliefs? I did the the very first time I had breast cancer 10 years ago, I did because I was writing a blog and I, I experimented with a few things like I gave Mm. up sugar and dairy for a very short period of time before deciding that I actually just needed to have a a better balance. And that, that certainly invited responses, but generally speaking, I don't get too much. It's something that I joked about in my novel with the character, um, it's called single bald female and she writes um she writes some posts online and she gets lots of um people commenting saying have you tried turmeric and have you tried um turmeric lattes and all that because those are genuinely things that people do say when you're first diagnosed but I think possibly with with me people know that I've been around the block of breast cancer now and they, they they know perhaps not to suggest stuff that I've probably already tried good um I appreciate I think it's important that people recognize those boundaries. You get the same thing with chronic illness. Like maybe you just need to do yoga and or have some more sleep. <laughs> try a crystal. And it's like, if those things help you, then that's awesome. And you should absolutely keep them. This isn't me judging anyone else's, but like you say, when you've lived with something for a while, you've tried everything. You've tried mm-hmm. every, you've, you've not left a single stone unturned and you find what works for you and what works to keep you kind of you, your brain healthy as well as, your mind and your body and soul and food is a pleasurable thing and I honestly think it's supposed to be pleasurable I think 
that it's one of the best things in the world and to deprive ourselves in pursuit of kind of a certain type of body or a certain manifestation of health I don't know if it ever works because I think the compromise in in joy and kind of feeling like everything's available to you often brings brings more negative consequences than we recognize it should be about nourishing the body and the soul as opposed to growing a particular type of body I think on the outside it's all about the inside you're saying it much better than me (laughs) (laughs) no you you fed me those ideas um you talked just then about feeding the soul nourishing the soul um you've bought a beautiful house in France which I think you're planning on moving to permanently is that right I'm planning on it. My husband and my daughter don't know yet. So, Oh, okay. Um, well, what was the dream that led you to buy this house in France? And how do you see your food lifestyle panning out over there? Oh my goodness. The food in France is so good. Yeah. Uh, it was lockdown and I got very claustrophobic living in the four walls, like I think all of us did. And I just wanted to be somewhere else. And so I I started to look at French cottages online every day, obsessively, as you do, and fell in love with one. And then it sold and we couldn't buy it. So then I was just on a mission on Founders One. And I mean, property in France is a lot cheaper, so it, it made it possible. But also the big draw for me really was the French culture. And a big part of that is food, like the fact that you have to have a bakery in every village and it has to be open every day with fresh bread. Some villages don't have one, so they have a baguette ATM machine. I don't know if you've seen those. No way. Like in, have you ever been to Japan? No. And they have, a, uh, not, not ATM machines, sorry, but they have vending machines on the street where you can buy like drinks and food and stuff, but they're just randomly on the street. No way. So this is just for baguettes, same thing. And I think it bakes it. I think it like has dough or has part baked bread in it and then... You can buy, you can, it'll cook it for you on the side of the road oh, or something. Wait. I did go to um, Bordeaux in August and I remember seeing one now. Out, it was outside a, like a spa shop. But yeah, I remember seeing it thinking, wow. It's like the law or something in France, you have to have bread. And I, I just think there's something about that, that prioritization of good food and the experience of it. And the French are very good at that. Like everything shuts down for an hour or two at lunchtime because everyone takes a proper lunch break Mm. there is no there's no boots meal deal where you get it all in little packages and you can sit at your desk and eat it conveniently like you have to go and you get a fresh sandwich made or you sit down somewhere and you have a proper meal and drink and I, I really appreciate that I think it's a really nourishing and healthy thing to have um and the fresh produce is so good like over there I, I set my location to to the French house for Facebook Marketplace. And like the things that come up if in Halifax, like around here where I live, it's like wheelie bin stickers and brat dolls. <laughs> and in France, it's people have grown too many tomatoes. So they're just giving oh. crates of them away and strawberries. Our house has got an orchard. It's got walnut trees. It's got like pear trees, apple trees, peach trees, mm. just figs it's amazing and it's just it's a different way of living it, you feel so much more connected to the seasons and yeah the fresh produce is is dreamy over there in a way that 
um, I don't I don't enjoy it in the same way over here anymore no I mean and we talk about when we talk about healthy lifestyle actually the lifestyle there that what's healthy about it is not necessarily just the food itself the fresh tomatoes but it's the the living around the growing of food yes yeah and the making time for food like making time for meals and enjoying it and yeah and and that kind of connection to what's in season the markets every village has a market and in the summer where it's too hot to have markets some of them have night markets because it's so important that you still go out and you know pick your food and choose your food and it's that intentionality again isn't it it's very different like in the UK I get I get HelloFresh, I get meal boxes delivered. And I love that. It's really convenient, but it's very unintentional. I don't get much say in what I'm eating each week. Whereas in that culture, it's like, well, of course you have time to go and choose individually which tomato you're going to eat and when. Um, And I really love that. It's a total privilege. It's obviously a real luxury, but I really love it. Yeah, I'm a big fan of that as well. So I'm going to start off by asking you the questions I ask everyone on this podcast. And I think the first one you've probably already answered, but I'll ask you anyway, your relationship to food, fuel or pleasure? I think pleasure. It has to be. Favorite meal of the day? Breakfast. I could eat breakfast at any hour. That is reflected in your Instagram. (laughs) (laughs) Name one meal that always makes you feel happy. Hot pot. What, What kind of hot pot? Well, Lancashire hot pot, because that's oh. where my grandma was from. So it would be beef hot pot with like potatoes and carrots and onions. That reminds me of Coronation Street. Was it Betty? Betty's hot pot. Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> One food that has healed you. Healed me. Bread. Bread is always there for me. Whatever's going on. <laughs> One dish that reminds you of family. Christmas dinner. Oh, yeah. One recipe that everyone should know how to cook. A really good soup with whatever's in your fridge. Soup makes it into almost every single one of these final questions in my podcast. Really? Um, everyone loves soup. Love soup. Your best meal ever. It's my grandma's Christmas dinner. Is your grandma still alive? She isn't, but I do her justice every year oh. with what she taught me, except she would have mushy peas in the Christmas dinner. I don't do that. I think it's a wartime leftover. So yeah. sorry again, grandma. Do you have Yorkshire pudding? Well, now I do. Again, that's sacrilegious. She'll, she'll be turning in her grave. But <laughs> now I'm in Yorkshire. I feel like I, I owe it to my fellow countrymen. Yes. Final question, some food for thought. What is the one piece of advice you would give to anyone about food and social media? My advice would be to pay more attention to how food feels in your body than how food looks online, I think. And fill your fill your feeds, fill your home feeds with other people who are doing the same thing. See, there was that um, there was that hashtag that took off a couple of years ago. Was it ugly, ugly delicious? I think it was. Oh, yes. And actually, there was that Dave Chang show, Ugly Delicious, on Netflix. But the problem with that is because I think I'm with you on hot pots and anything that's basically a one pot dish, you know, fish pies, things like that. But they never look good on the gram. So they look like slop. Know, don't what they? can you do about that? Round slop. You've got to have nice bowls, nice bowls, and a little bit of a garnish. <laughs> Got yeah, got yeah. Um, and I actually I interviewed a food photographer in my Instagram class, um, a food stylist and photographer, and it was really interesting hearing her talk about how you represent flavors in photographs. Um, mm. 
she's called Kimberly Espinel. She has a book actually. And she's, yeah, like just the way that you can photograph food so that it kind of communicates the tastes. And, and she's got lots of ideas about things like that that I'd never even thought of. That's really interesting. Is that an episode on your podcast? She's also on my podcast, yes, Kimberly okay. Espinel. And then there's the, she actually did a little workshop for us in the Insta Retreat. I'll have a look for it and I'll put the link in the show notes if I can find it. Sarah, thank you so much. It's been a total joy. Thank you, Laura. I'm sorry you've been a bit waffly. I think it probably reflects the fact that my relationship with food is complicated still. And um, hopefully I made some sort of sense at some totally, point. Yeah, not waffly <laughs> at all. And, you know, waffle is on brand with food. So True, delicious. <laughs> <laughs> if you enjoyed this podcast, you can follow Sarah on Instagram at me underscore and underscore Orla. And you can read her newsletter at me and Orla at substack.com. You can also visit Sarah's website, meandorla.co.uk to find out about her coaching courses and Insta retreats. And I'll put all those links in the show notes. You can also follow me on Instagram at Laura Price Writes for more information on my past and future podcast guests. And you can buy my novel, Single Bald Female, in bookshops and online. It's out in paperback in January 2023 and it's currently in hardback. Social media features so prominently in the novel that it's actually like another character. So if you're as fascinated as me by how much social media features in our lives, then you might want to give it a read. Now, a favour to ask. If you're enjoying this podcast, please go to Apple Podcasts or whichever platform you're listening on and give this podcast a review or rating and hit the subscribe button. It really, really helps other listeners to discover the podcast. And as an independent podcaster, that's pretty much the only tool I have. So I need your help. I'll be back in another two weeks with a fresh episode and I'd love to see you there. Thank you for listening to Life in Food with Laura Price. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bolin Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bolin Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bolinbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.